0: This is Geek Gab with your host, Daddy Warpig. We are back Geek Gab for Saturday, July 4th, 2018. And I have got some heartbreaking news for you. Folks, some bad, bad news, and I just don't know how to break it. Uh up until literally just one second ago. My Fellow host uh, Dorinald, was missing in action, but he has now joined us so that we can bring you this awesome show. Uh, hey, dude, what's up?
1: Hello. Can you hear me today? Yes, I can hear you. Fantastic. I was uh, I was away from the Bat Cave today uh, on the uh, Hangouts on the phone, and wouldn't you know it? I had some technical difficulties, but we're good to go. How are you doing? Um same as always. That's a that's a great answer. <laughs> it you confuses
0: the hell out of people.
1: <laughs> I don't know what to think. Okay, so um did you remember pants? Uh do sweatpants count? Uh it's a trick question on the geekab. Pants are optional. Uh, I was just say I'm, I'm not out in public, so it's not like people are going to care. I mean, if I was
0: broadcasting from like the floor of Origins and i had forgotten pants, that would be a problem. I would yeah. imagine.
1: Yeah, I, I lucked out that day. I, I remembered pants. Um, did you see any new movies this week? I did not. This was uh, I had my D and D game this week, so I was full on gaming. How is that going, by the way? We're on, uh, we're coming up on the, it'll be a couple months for the third year anniversary of me actually beginning the game. I've got a really stable group of players now, uh, which is interesting because I originally advertised it as an open table game where anybody could drop in and drop out. The problem was I had seven to nine people always dropping in. Hmm. so. I had to stop advertising the game and I just had to run the game for the same five to seven guys who ended up showing up each week. So it's a good thing. I've, I've been giving them warning though. Uh, we are finally nearing the end of the mega dungeon and they, they actually just found probably the biggest treasure hoard in the place. So they're almost done with the Mega Dungeon, and I've warned them that there's a really good chance that I'm going to discontinue that game once they're done. But that's I'm all all in the else? Yeah, Um.
0: Yeah,
1: depending on if I want to keep playing Dungeons and Dragons, I'll probably uh, downshift to an older version, maybe BX, Moldvay. Maybe something new like Axe, something like that. Because I've discovered, uh, I, I enjoy, as a dungeon master, I enjoy executing the old-school style of game more than the modern superhero type style of game. So that I think I'd be better off with that sort of system.
0: I have heard a lot of good things about the, the Adventure Conqueror King system from um, Autark, I believe, is the company. mm mm-hmm. um, I just I think of it as Archon because he's the guy I know. Uh, Alexander Makris, he's the one who makes the game. Uh, and so every time I hear about the game, that's who I think of. But it's by a company called Autart. I actually got in. They did a humble bundle with uh, Adventure Conqueror King. And so I bought into the humble bundle. So I got like a huge part of the line, like eight books on PDF. And I haven't read a single one of them. Um, I just haven't had time.
1: Uh, yeah, no. and not, I haven't. I haven't either. It's it's an option. It's on my list. Um, someone described DCC to me, Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is a similar uh, old school revival sort of game. And uh, they basically they went a little too goofy on me. Uh, supposedly, um, wizards in that game they, they can cast a lot of spells, but their spells are not reliable. Uh, so you get that fun wild magic sort of test. Well, you might get the spell that you want, or you might. Um, blow up everybody in the room yeah. unless, that was the, unless that was the spell you wanted in which case you might blow up everybody on the block <laughs> that that doesn't appeal to me uh, I'd, I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have uh, you know, well defined effects that uh, I don't like random and wacky that much there was uh,
0: someone in the Pulp Rev community who. a lot of the people in the Pulp Rev community also tend to be OSR people um, which shouldn't really be surprising. Um,
1: but yeah, it's, it's they were sort of a weird, cool overlap. We're, we're all, we're you know what, they're all just LARPing as if it were the, you know, the late 19th century. That's what it is. The, uh, what
0: they had said, uh, they had published an article recently, and I can't remember who it is, and I don't remember what blog it was on, uh, but they published an article in a, the last few months, talking about just that sort of thing about skill checks for spells or uh, chaos checks for spells, about how those are uh, bad things and very detrimental to the game. Now, I'm not, um, I am not taking that position. I'm not saying that that sort of thing is innately detrimental to the game, but I have seen a recent article in the. Pulp Revolution community. So, if you're if you're no Pulp Revolution people, I'm sure uh, someone can point out um, can point that out, uh, or will point that out maybe in the chat.
1: Yeah, um, we got some to counting, I'm counting you guys to give us that link. <laughs> well, uh, you, YouTube can't link. You can't link in YouTube chat. So they'll have to they'll have to shoot us a, a message on Twitter. See, and I get that. I get why they don't allow people to link
0: in YouTube chat. And for the most part, for most people, I certainly agree because it's for the same cause that <clears throat> you would say something like, don't read the comments uh, on YouTube. That's why you don't allow people to to put links into the chat. But still at the same time, it would come in handy. It would be very, very useful uh, if they allowed people to do that. Um, Let let me ask you a question. Um, People, they kind of give this tier of uh, of fans of role playing. At the very top of the people who play. And right below them are the people who don't play, but they just buy the books to read. And then I have, in the last three, four years, unfortunately fallen to the very tier below that, which is people who buy role-playing supplements but aren't even able to read them um, because of various things. I, I literally um, put into two Kickstarters uh, for uh, a couple of the Monty Cook Cypher System games, uh, The Strange um, and uh, the uh, another one. To get nice cardboard box sets filled with props and maps with maps on them and books and all of that. And I literally haven't read a single word of any of it. And I spent dollars, maybe more $120 to get these. I haven't read any of them, not a one. Yes. Um, I bought them to the recent Torg Kickstarter. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to read much of that. I
1: just the life is just. You know what just... that
0: is?
1: Now, say you, that know again. That is. you know what that is? That's that's a return to the old uh, ADD Second Edition model. Remember, remember when when they discovered the power of the Splat Book when when those those player guides came out, like the Ultimate Guide to Elves or the the Fighters Handbook, that sort of thing. And TSR went, "Whoa, this is like printing money." So they took all of their cool little campaign worlds and they made whole product lines out of them, just books upon books. And you could get boxed sets for um, I, I was one of those guys when I was uh, this was when I was in high school, uh, when Planescape was in production. And uh, the it was all done. All the art was done by a single artist. They got Tony Lizzie. Uh, who's been doing his own children's books and Magic: The Gathering cards since? Uh, he did all the artwork for the series, so not only was it sort of a, an interesting setting to read, but uh, the art was distinctive. It, it, it you know, it, it had a t- ditter lizzy flavor to it. And I did the same thing. I, I hoovered up all the boxes. I had, with the exception of one of the one or two of the packaged adventures. I had the full set of Planescape books. It's... It, they, they became things to collect instead of things to play. But you read them, right? I did. I did. I just never played with them, which is just as... I might as well not have read them. See, I... Uh,
0: it's frustrating because these are games that I intend to read. These are games I want to read. I've bought them to read them and maybe to play them someday. And I've just Life is just too doggone busy. That's a good thing. It's okay.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, but um, the, don't forget the fourth tier, the, the dirt tier, are people who don't play or buy books or read books, but they just watch people do live plays on YouTube, uh, YouTube or Twitch. Okay. Let me
0: begin by saying I'm ignorant about this because I've never watched one being done. Maybe yep. they're entertaining as all hell. Maybe they're the most entertaining thing in entertainment since entertainment was invented. I haven't watched them, so I can't say. But that sounds like a, an insanely boring
1: time. It's Yeah, it's the worst. It's like watching paint dry. Watching other people play role-playing games is the most mind-numbing experience ever. Even the, the you know the famous one critical role where there's established characters, it's been going on for seasons. It's practically a soap opera at this point. And uh, all the, uh, all the players are uh, uh, voice actors in California. so you know they they're young, they're relatively attractive. Uh, for, for D&D nerds, you know, and, and they, they've got really high production values where everybody's dressed nice, makeup and everything. So it's it's a proper show. And it's still boring as hell. They're still playing D&D. And if you're not actually in the game, it's not worth watching. But what is, but what is the appeal? They get viewers. They get tons of viewers. I think the appeal is, honestly, uh, the ongoing story of the characters. It's uh, I've talked to a few people who watch the show and they say, it's all right. It's, it's not a, it's not really a DD podcast. It's about the, the, the ongoing story that's told through the game. So they're actually enjoying that part of it. You know, they, they, they like the characters or they identify with the characters. Um, and they they like to see the other people have fun and like the characters succeed and fail and everything like that. Very similar to just watching a television show. Only boring. I am am baffled.
0: But I'm also baffled by Let's Plays, Uh, video game Let's Plays. I can see why people who want to see what a game is like before they buy it, I can see why they would do it. That makes sense to me. The people who just watch it because they find it entertaining... Baffles me. I don't even like watching one. It used to be like back in the day, if you wanted tips or tricks or Easter eggs or whatever, you had to buy the magazine to get them. Uh, now we have the wonderful internet. I don't even like having to go to YouTube to watch. You know, hi, this is Tom. Thanks everybody for coming back today. We're playing State of Decay two, and I'm going to show you where the library is on the plateau level. Now you're going to have to watch me here. You start off in this uh, in this house. You're on top of Plateau, there's four or five other houses, but if uh, you're gonna need, you're gonna absolutely gonna need people with with more skills. So you're gonna wanna go directly to the library and I'm gonna show you the best route to do that early in the game. Okay, that's a real thing, right? That's a real thing what I just said. Even sure. that, even that is something I don't like. Uh, I do it when I have to, but I, I don't enjoy them. I just wanna get in, get the information and get out. Uh, and really I want the host to shut up because <laughs> they're annoying.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, and, and the the problem is, is that the, the most successful let's plays aren't selling the games themselves, they're selling the the product, the player. I mean that's how PewDiePie started. PewDiePie is the number one YouTube uh, personality. Fifty three
0: million prob- subs.
1: Yeah, he's, he's absolutely huge. He started just nerdy guy hanging around doing let's let's plays. And he built an audience and, and now he does just he does videos about anything now. Um he, he, he's uh he's the brand, not the game. The game's not important. So yeah, but I, I put
0: people who watch let's plays I guess I can see that. If the person Press is the so board interesting, board, they make the let's board, play. And entertaining. I can see why people would do
1: that. Um, Walker in the chat makes an interesting point. The, the let's play reveals what the let's play reveals is now saddled with a story a given video game has. All right, I'm, I'm going to pretend he wrote that with with that's understandable. But the point is, is that if you can watch a playthrough and you're actually entertained as a narrative, you're watching a bad game. I tend to agree. Or at least I, you're you're enjoying the things that are tangential to the actual gaming experience. Uh, story doesn't matter. I have to think about that with video games.
0: RPGs are not about the story. RPGs are about, and I, um, this was a big deal. Two thousand and twelve, I got into a lot of uh, a lot of fights about this. That's where I made my bones on RP on uh, the RPG site. Uh, pundits, RPG pundits site, uh, is taking on a couple of story gamers and throwing out some things that apparently very few other people had thought about because it was brand new to these people who'd been fighting against story games taking over most RPGs for a long time. I was like, no, that's not what storytelling is. RPGs are not storytelling. And I'm not even saying that as like a normative thing. That's not a declaration of something I'm trying to make true. Uh, I came up, I said, here are three different kinds of Storytelling. He three different possible definitions of storytelling. One of which is you know literally getting up in front of an audience and telling a story. Um, but role playing games aren't any of them. They're not anything like telling a story. Every time you read an introduction to a role playing game, and uh, the person begins with, "Well, it's like you and your friends are sitting down at the table to tell a story." They're wrong. They're completely wrong. They're one hundred percent wrong. There isn't anything right. Absolutely nothing right about what they're saying. Um, but I pointed out that what story, what role-playing games are, they're the interactive, you know, you're interacting with a fictional world and you may create stories, but that happens in retrospect. Like stories are ways we as human beings make sense of what happened to us. They're retrospective sense making. So when you get to work and you're all flustered and you say to your friend, man, it's been the worst morning. My alarm clock didn't go off. So I got up late and I had to rush into the shower and get dressed and rush out the door. And I was going along on the freeway and I was a little bit over. I was only like five over and the cop pulled me over and I was stuck on the side of the road for 10 minutes. And then I finally got to work. All this happened because the power flickered last night and my alarm clock just went crazy. I need to get a new alarm clock. Okay, that right there is a narrative. You have constructed that narrative by picking and choosing events that seem to fit together to make a flow, right? To make a story that people can understand. There are other things that happen and maybe some of the events you're telling didn't exactly happen the way that you're telling them because you're condensing things and you're simplifying things that's retrospective sense making
1: the and same I, thing go ahead i like the point that you made about about us making sense of it because it when if you think about us as rationalizing beings when we our, our brains are always desperately uh trying to make sense of the world around us as we sense it it's the same thing for those events. It's you know the, that's why the fun of an RPG is the emergent gameplay because we're rationalizing all these things that happen into a narrative. Yeah, and
0: and you skip over like uh, the dumb jokes your character said, or when you rolled badly and missed in combat, uh, or that the you know rogue went off and did something stupid off to the side. You edit the events that go into it to retroactively create a story. And that's the only way that storytelling has anything to do with RPGs is when you're relating what happened at the table to someone else, you have to form a story, you have to form a coherent sequence of events. Storytelling does not make any sense in role-playing games
1: uh, other well, than and stories here, you tell afterwards. And here's why watching other people play a game and and everything, that's why uh, none of that makes sense to me because if you do need to describe your game to someone else, you have to tell that story. And what's the golden rule of talking about RPGs? No one cares about your stupid character. Even if you form a compelling, interesting story about it, nobody cares but you. Or maybe I'm just bad at forming compelling, interesting stories. Um,
0: but, but in any case, it uh, you have to completely put that out of your mind. I wrote an article about this on the Castelia House blog last week on Monday, about my definition of what role-playing is. And i people read that article. And this is an assumption on my part, that a lot of the people who read that just nodded and said, oh, yes, you're right. That's exactly what role-playing is and kind of didn't understand why that was a big deal. And my point is, look, how many times have you read an introduction to a role-playing book or, or read the advice chapter that's supposed to teach people how to play role-playing games? Go back and read AD&D or, or the other D&Ds before that. None of them break down exactly what role-playing is in a easily understandable, easily comprehensible format that's a template uh, to use so that you know what to expect when you're playing a game, when you're GMing a game, so you're ready when you get on the field of play to do things because you know this is exactly how it works and this is exactly how it's supposed to work Um, the reason why my encapsulation and distillation of RPG what role playing games are is actually worthwhile is that so very few people have actually done the work to get that out of it even people whose professional job it is to sell role playing games and to try to explain them they all fumble around uh, in trying to do it finally I have for my use and you have for your use if you want to read the article something that uh, or the contents of it I'll get to in just a second something that's clear and concise and direct and absolutely accurate perfectly accurate I'm stopping to let you so that I'm not you know I can ensure, I, I can ensure that I'm not beginning to ramble on by by stopping every now and then
1: it's good, good policy. Good policy. Did, uh, did you read the
0: article?
1: I don't think I did. Oh, I, in the back. I usually, I usually read them too. I'm terrible. That was okay. uh, on, on
0: Castalia House. You said, yeah, it is. It's on the Castalia House blog. It's my uh, article from last Monday. So I want to go through it because it's simple. This is not a complicated concept. But that's because I, you know, did all the skull sweat to try and distill it down here's what a role-playing game is and everybody who's played a game you're going to start nodding you're going to say oh yeah he's exactly right and all this other crap about stories and plot and everything else are going to fall away because it's irrelevant and honestly even mechanics and mechanical situate uh considerations those are all secondary they do not matter as much as this core gameplay cycle okay The game master describes the situation to the players. That's where it begins, with description. You describe the situation so that the players have enough details to understand what's going on. And it doesn't have to be very long. Uh, One of the examples I gave was from Shadowrun. The game master says to you, you enter the coffin motel. An old orc lady is sitting behind the counter, she glances up with a pinched expression on her face, looks you over, and then looks back down at whatever it is she's reading. Now, maybe there's more details the players want, they can ask for them, whatever, but immediately you know where you are, that there's another person involved, and kind of what her attitude towards you is, that gives the players the essential Thing they need for the next step. Now, sometimes the next step is in the player's wheelhouse, right? It's in their uh, court. The ball is in their court. The players then decide what to do, hopefully quickly, and describe what their character is doing. So in this particular scenario, one of the players says, well, I walk over to her and smile and say, hey, darling, we're looking for a uh, elf. Tall, blonde hair, very, very pale, no chrome. Have you seen him? So that's the second step. First step, DM describes. Second step, players decide how to react and describe what their characters do. And the third step is the game master adjudicates, that is, they make a decision as to what happens based on what players did. He adjudicates the results of the player uh, actions and then presents, describes the new situation. So in this case, the game master says, she looks at you and says, I don't remember anything. And then pauses meaningfully. So the players know how this old orc woman is reacting. And then you go back to the players deciding and describing their decisions. One of the other players says, oh, dude, it's obvious. She wants a bride. And he walks over. He says, uh, uh, Chainsaw's going to walk over and hand her a 50 new yen bill. Okay, there you go. You have the situation. You have the game master describes the situation, the players describe their responses, the game master adjudicates the responses, sometimes rolling, usually not, and then presents the new situation to the players, and then the players make a decision. That's it. That's role-playing. That's the game cycle, and you do that over and over and over. Now, there's a whole bunch of other considerations that come into it. What dice are best for a game? Does that have classes or skills, you know, whatever. All those things secondary. That cycle of play is core to every role-playing game. And if you get that right, if as a game master you describe, if as a player they describe, and as a game master you adjudicate the results of their actions and describe the new situation, if you get that cycle correct, then you're role-playing. And everything else will come after. Everything else can be fixed or improved or whatever. That's it. That's what role-playing is. Sounds good.
1: And yet so many people get it wrong. Yeah, I think... So many... Well, I think that's why we have so many fights over the systems used. Because some systems encourage that style of play. And others don't do so much. The, the White Wolf Storyteller system uh, was great for selling a bunch of cool books uh, written by cool people and with uh, edgy adult artwork, but in terms of actually playing a game out of it, left a lot to be desired. Whereas even the, even the current D&D system may not generate the type of game that people in the OSR appreciate. It still generates the sort of game that you can play. You've got abilities, and 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 the you know you sort of know what your character is capable of, so you can interact with the game world.
0: See, and people say, well, a good game master can run every system.
1: And what they're I really, I think that's probably true. But go ahead.
0: What they're really saying is that a game master. Who knows the cycle of play, even if it's just implicitly, even if they've just learned it and they're doing it without even thinking about it. You don't have to, not everyone knows this explicitly, they just implicitly know it. A game master who has that cycle of play in mind and runs that cycle of play, the mechanics are secondary because what's happening um, in play works the core of it is healthy and so mechanics are secondary so even when you have a game that's actually literally impossible to play as written like there are some game systems that are broken and i don't mean broken in the sense that they're easily exploitable i mean broken in the sense that if you try to apply the mechanics as written it literally can't work it's physically impossible because one you know rule uh Opposes another rule, and there's no way to to fix that. It's broken at its heart. Uh, I believe Shadowrun Fourth Edition rigging is that way. It's broken. That even the people who wrote the game couldn't explain how to work it, and the more they tried, the more obvious it became that they that it was broken. That they did not design a playable uh, subsystem. So, if you have the cycle of play. Even games that are broken aren't a problem because you ignore the rules and you go back to the cycle of play. Um,
1: so that's it. That's role playing. Sounds good to me. Bradford Walker um, in the chat calls it the fundamental gameplay loop. Which yeah, yeah. All right, that works. And I I I think I'll add a
0: link to to the uh, a link to the Castalia House article in the description for uh, for people who want to go back uh, and check a check a look at that. cause I expand on it, I give some more examples. But I, I think where game masters go wrong, where a lot of game masters go wrong is that they completely skip description. Um, or the descriptions they give aren't sufficient to the setting to, or to the needs of the players, and they roll dice first, last, and always. They don't. Uh, they don't let players engage with the world creatively, and that's a problem. That's a big problem, um, and I think it's a problem that comes from not understanding the fundamental. You know that fundamental cycle,
1: um, but that's a you know that's a
0: bigger bigger issue we can discuss some other time.
1: Yeah, um, maybe. So. Hey, so hey, so we we've done a whole show already. Do you still want to talk about a movie? Yeah, I went saw Skyscraper yesterday.
0: Um, and uh, it was okay, not great.
1: Is it just a disaster movie?
0: It is, it's kind of like a cross between The Towering Inferno and Die Hard.
1: Oh, and and The Rock is playing Mr. Hard in this scenario.
0: Yeah. It's a... It is, a, it's not a bad movie. And obviously it's a big budget movie. They've got a lot of what you imagine, and you're correct, has to be computer animation, because they're just things that don't exist. There's this, it's an action movie that is made to be sold to the American market and made to be sold to the Chinese market because it's set in China and uh, a bunch of the supporting characters are all Chinese. Um, And so uh, they're banking on Chinese audiences buying tickets to see this to boost up their numbers. So this billionaire in China has spent $6 billion, more than $6 billion, building the tallest skyscraper in the world. It's twice as tall as the skyscraper in Dubai, which is currently the world record holder. Um, so massive, okay. huge. All right. Um, and his character, who is a former FBI hostage rescue team member, who is has a tiny security consulting firm, is hired to consult on this building. Because one of the people working for the billionaire is a friend of his who was also on the team with him. He comes in, surveys systems. Um, You have to be ready for the fact that a bunch of stuff that was in the trailer is not in the movie. They apparently decided to reshape that scene where somebody's making fun of him and saying that he's incompetent. They apparently decided to reshape that scene in editing. It's not in the movie. His recommendation so that that he can get uh, insurance for this building. The biggest insurance payment in history to insure this building. Well, it's a diehard movie, so you know what's going to happen, right? A bunch of guys show up to rob something from the building. And they begin causing problems. And the Rock has to uh, negotiate it. Now they did some strange things with the movie. They made him into this anti-gun guy who, after the incident that he got kicked, that he left the uh, hostage rescue teams for, now he's missing the lower half of his left leg. Because of a situation that went wrong, so that's what the beginning scene of the movie is, the situation that went wrong, how he got to his half of the leg. And then during the movie, they play with that handicap as he has to use his, uh, you know, he has to, while climbing, there's a danger that he's going to slip out of his leg because that's what he's hanging on by. He uses the leg to hold the door open, various things. Um, but they make him like this completely, uh, anti-gun guy. He absolutely refuses to pick up a gun because of what happened to him. It doesn't really make sense. And they don't really explain it. Um, and he goes into the building. The bad guys have lit it on fire in order to get access to this vault. And he has to go in and save his family. That's it. That's the movie. It's all right, not great. And audiences kind of knew that going in because it got beaten badly by Hotel Transylvania 3.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, Uh, wow. So. Uh, Well, thank you for, I mean, that wasn't a bad movie, but thank you for taking that hit for us.
0: It was it was it was all right. It was entertaining enough, um, but it's it the most of your Fast and the Furious movies are more entertaining.
1: Okay, um, so oh, uh, that's another one. I I want to talk about the future show. Uh, it might if we might miss it. It might leave theaters. But I was I was thinking of seeing Sicario, the sequel to that. Have you seen that yet?
0: I have not seen uh, the first Sicario, and nor have I seen what is it Soldado. Uh, yeah. Uh, I
1: I didn't realize it was a, it was a sequel to Sicario until I didn't even realize it was out. That's how good the marketing was. <laughs> so, but, but but the first Sicario was mean, brutal, uh, violent. Sort of a trying to be a realistic take on on the problem with, uh, crooked, uh, DEA and Mexican drug cartels. So I, I'm I'm sure it'll have enough violence to, uh, wet your appetite, Mr. Warpig. Um, here's the thing about, you're talking about the movie being out
0: of the theaters. Uh, the local theater here has Ant-Man and the Wasp in it still, obviously, but it still has Avengers Infinity War playing because people are still buying tickets. It still has Incredibles 2 playing because people are still buying tickets. Um, so, you know, apparently those movies are doing really, really well.
1: Uh, and around, around here, you can still find a theater two playing Black Panther.
0: Is that a second run theater or a first run theater?
1: I, I don't think first run theater.
0: Okay. Because of the second-run theater, I've got a second-run theater very, very close to my house, and I frequently check what's playing there just to see if there's something I haven't seen that I want to see. I have to go there a lot, but I have had to go there in the past a couple of times because I completely missed the movie. Um, So I really like second-run theaters. They're they're a great idea, and uh, I'm glad that I've got one close by. So I'm not going to recommend Skyscraper. It was okay, not great. Um, and, and it is well, doomed to be forgettable.
1: Well, I mean, when you're The Rock and you just make action movie after action movie, not all of them are going to be... Do, do you remember that you did the G.I. Joe movies?
0: Yes. Yeah. Which was sad because they actually cast him as the absolute perfect character. He should sure. play Roadblock. Yeah, that That's who he should be. He uh, was a perfect roadblock. It's just too bad the rest of the movies were terrible. I want to say this. This is the thing um, about Skyscraper. And I think it's a thing that the filmmakers kind of forgot. They were doing so many big flashy stunts. They forgot the core rule of big flashy stunts, which is you can push believability so far, but you can never break it. And the stunts they did broke it. And Die Hard pushed believability to the limit, to where maybe some of the things he was doing were technically, you know, impossible physically speaking. But we as an audience could buy it. Um, but about halfway through the movie, there just came a moment where you I like, couldn't buy it anymore. Believability suddenly broke, and from then on in, things just got more and more incredible. Um, and I. It, 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 it it's kind of a long description to get there to explain why this is unbelievable. Um, and I don't know if it's worth it necessarily, but Nev Campbell is trying to cross a board. That's a very flimsy board uh, or a very flippy board, right? It, it bends easily. That is being held on two sides of a cross by just a short six inches or so. So any bending on that board and it will, uh, slip off and she'll die. And she's got a child on her back, is holding on to her neck. And the board is like, I don't know, eight or ten feet long. So she's crossing the board with a child on her back, and she slips and falls, and grabs a hold of the board, and the board bounces. Then she climbs back on. The kid doesn't fall off. She doesn't fall. The board doesn't slip off the bridge. The board doesn't break with all this sudden weight plummeting on it and shaking it. And it was just too obviously impossible. And that there's no way she could start falling off this board and grab a hold of it. No way that she could grab a hold of it with a kid. You know, a 10-year-old kid on her shoulders. That's just way too much weight, plus her weight. She, her fingers can't hold that up. The board would slip off, or the board would break. She's dead. And from that point in, the it just shattered any believability, which, which they were doing a good job up until that point to where um, the believability was bent but not broken. But ironically, by not breaking the board, they broke believability. Um and also at the very ending of the movie he won't use guns but he will use a hand grenade. So okay. Well, that's too bad. Um but you know, the usual stuff, special effects or spectacular, cinematography was well done. Um you know, they all the technical pieces were there. It's just, again, flaws in the fundamental story. The closer that technical um, issues get to perfection, the more Hollywood movies depend not on spectacle, but story. And the more obvious it becomes that story is what Hollywood does uh, the weakest at nowadays. So, Sounds good.
1: Um, uh, Well, I don't have anything else I want to talk about. Do you want to wrap this? Let's call it a show. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody in the chat. Been hanging out with the usual suspects, Bradford, Rawl. Who else we got in here today? Uh, A quick drive-by by by the mixed GM enjoying our uh, (laughs) D&D discussion. It's it's great to have everybody in here. Uh, uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for chatting. Have a great week, everybody. Um,
0: yeah, is also listening in, and Jackson Anderson. So, thanks for stopping by, guys. Um, and I don't see any questions in the chat, so uh, we're gonna call it. Um, this has been Geek Gab, Saturday, July 14th, 2018, episode 148. We are verging on episode 150 in a couple weeks. Um, and so we like to thank everybody who's turning in live as part of the chat. We'd like to thank everybody. If you're listening to this show later, uh, you can listen to it on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. Or you might be listening to it on your Android device that you can uh, subscribe to our show through the Google Play Store. Or you might be listening to us on your uh, iDevice, your iOS device, by subscribing to us through the, the iTunes Store Or you may just be listening to us on the web or via downloaded file you got from soundcloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab. We're available in all those places. Um, Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Click the uh, up thumb if you like to. Uh, If you like the show, click the bell icon to get notifications of when shows like this are going live. So you too can come and join the unusually intelligent and attractive members of our audience. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are signing off for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret.
1: We will be back.